Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest is a human-centered researcher, strategist, and solution designer. She's trained in human factors, experimental psychology, and industrial engineering. After nearly 20 years in enterprise software development, she formed Lean Geeks, I love that name, Lean Geeks. What a great name of a company. It's a business consulting and staffing firm that helps organizations discover market opportunities and define the most usable, effective, and efficient technology solutions. And I can remember when I worked in technology, usable, effective, and efficient with technology seemed to be an oxymoron. But this guest has figured this out, and we're going to hear about it today. And her strength is leading business strategy and organizational change in human-centered design. She enjoys working with others across organizations from top down and bottom up on defining and implementing processes that lead to better problem definition and improved solution outcomes. That, that kind of tickles my engineering brain when I hear all that. And She holds a doctorate in human factors and experimental psychology from North Carolina State University. She's an adjunct professor and member of the Department of Computer Science at NC State. And previously, this is part of the story, was a physical therapy aide. I think that's why she went into the business she went into. We'll hear about that. And please welcome Dr. Kenya Odur. Hi, Kenya. Hi. How are you today, Gary? I'm fantastic. You know, I love it when I have another doctor on because then we can just call each other by their first names. We can yes. leave the doctor off, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, Kenya, let's talk about this shift in your career. You were a physical therapy aide, and then you ended up eventually getting a doctorate in experimental psychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an interesting journey. So I, I should backtrack a little bit before yeah. that change. Yeah. I'm one of those folks that was on the five-year plan for undergrad. Part of that was figuring out what do I really want to do? Sure. And having interest in engineering, interest in psychology, people, movement, human movement. I landed on physical therapy. And right out of school, this was late 90s, right out of school, had the opportunity to work as an aide in physical therapy before applying for graduate school. So Mm. you have to do a certain number of uh, volunteer hours or and work hours ahead of applying. And so during that time, there was a, a flood of individuals going through physical therapy programs. And the therapist that I work with talked me out of it. They told me that, you know, you're going to go into the field and you're student loans are going to be so high that mm. your pay rate is going to, it's not going to be balanced. And so you're going to spend a lot of time paying off those loans. So so they convinced you based on a financial reason, not a talent or an interest or a mission or anything like that. It was all financial. Well, that was their side of it. My side and was, side? my side was looking at what physical therapists do. And I, I mean, you know, 
praise God that we have physical therapists because we all need therapy at some point. But I was one of those folks that wanted to get ahead of injury and illness. I wanted to be out in front in terms of creating solutions that would help people more effectively than trying to treat the conditions that, that, that take place. You want to prevent, not to. I wanted to prevent. Exactly. Mm. So I explored different fields, landed on human factors, which was a very unique niche field. Even today, a lot of people ask me, what is human factors? So Dr. Kenya, what is human factors? Cause I, <laughs> you're right. I, I'm not sure I understand what that means. Yeah, that's a good question. So I always distill it down to it's the study of work. So when you think about everything that we do, social or in a work setting, it's work. So we, we have a goal that we set and we have to achieve that goal. And in that, we have processes, other people we work with, systems and tools. So someone's got to evaluate that all those things in that ecosystem work together with the benefit of the human in the loop in mind. So that's what mm-hmm. we do. Well, that now makes sense, industrial engineering being part of that, because that's kind of the the process part, right? That's the flow of work. And then you've got the human side of it, which uh, on this program, we talk about that is the leadership side, the people side of it. Mm -hmm. And I always separate leadership and management as, you know, management is about things and leadership is about the people. Mm-hmm. And I've I've always found that the challenge, at least why I'm in the field I'm in, is with the with the human side of this, the people side of it, which is what makes it so much so much fun. Talk a little bit about what you know. How did you get into that though? How did you find that mm. field? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I look back and I realize that I did a lot of homework on my own. I would come home from work and. I was just dipping my toe into navigating the internet. Mm. When I was in college, we didn't have email. So I wasn't familiar with email and the internet and the World Wide Web at the time. And so I was in the D.C. area, which was um, a good position to be in because a lot of human factors folks work um, in making uh, or influencing legislation and safety, consumer safety and that sort of thing. So I was able to navigate by meeting folks in that area, but more so I just went online and started to look for information on academic programs and what different people do in terms of the application of something like human factors. And I found, I also worked at the Career Center when I was an undergrad. So I learned how to do research around utilizing the Occupational Outlook Handbook and different assessments. So I was able to kind of navigate using those different skills I picked up working at the Career Center. And so I reached out to people who were in the field and I found other women who look like me and reached out to them. And I found one woman who was about to graduate at NC State and she introduced me to her advisor. And um, I got connected to him and came down to North Carolina and decided I want to pursue a PhD. So. Wow. Packed it up, me and my dog packed it up and moved to North Carolina from Maryland. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's no easy decision to make. I mean, people talk to me all the time. It's funny, I, I'm sure that you've had this happen to you where people go, I want to do what you do. I mean, I want to get a PhD. I wanna, I'm like, why? Why do you want to get an advanced degree? Because I want you to know that this is one of the hardest things you will ever, ever do. Yes. And you better have a good reason for it because there's going to be days where you're going to want to quit. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's the key is why, because that probably was the most challenging 
period of my life in terms of you have to be a self-starter. You have to be self-motivated. You have to persevere. And you realize at some point that it's about jumping through hoops and, and being able to jump through those hoops and demonstrate that you can complete a task on your own. Yeah, in the face of a lot of challenges, because yeah. first the first challenge is the, the professors that you're working with, they yeah. don't give a damn whether you get your PhD or not. They don't care. You know, get it, don't get it. They don't care. They'll guide you. And if you show interest in that kind of, you might find yeah. somebody that takes some interest, but it, you're right. You, it's, it's all about you and that you've yeah. got to push through it. I don't know about you, but I, I certainly had the moments when the last year, when I was writing my dissertation, mm-hmm. when I, if I hadn't been four and a half years into it and looking at the end point and saying, okay, I, I can get this done <laughs> in the next six months. I would have, if I had known that when I started, I would go, uh, no, I don't think I want to do this. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. I can remember all-nighters in the lab, running data analysis, trying to make sense of things, and then having to get up and go to work the next day. Oh, I worked, by the way, as a co-op at IBM at the time. And so they allowed me to flex my schedule throughout the year based on my research and where I was and that kind of thing. So I loved having to straddle kind of being in academia and a researcher and learning all that, but then applying it at IBM and software development. So it's interesting when you were talking about working in the career center and then now working with IBM as a co-op or or a part-time or whatever, Mm -hmm. all of these experiences come back to create the human being that you are today that allows you to be who you are, when you are, and being able to lead this, this company, Lean Geeks, Talk a little about how you started that. What I mean, not a lot of PhDs decide. There are some. Some of us do this. We'll start mm-hmm. our own business, but a lot of them go into academia. They go into research. They do other things. But to be a doctor and an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. that's pretty unique, Kenya. How did you? How did you decide to do that? That's a good question. I never thought about it that way. But it's one of those things where the PhD journey was a personal goal. It was something that I just woke up one day and decided I want to get a PhD. I'm not sure why. And I look back and wonder, was I, you know, going through some things and (laughs) needed to challenge myself at another level? I don't know, but that was always a personal goal for me. And then when I started to... Hold on a second. Was the personal goal simply, that's not your why. Was it just a complete something? What was your why? My why was to challenge myself in a way where I where I was able to think so critically about a topic or an area that I could become an expert in that. Mm. And as a part of that, the PhD journey is to me one of the best ways to demonstrate your expertise and your interest. So let me let me, let me check with you on this because I have a theory, all right? So mm-hmm. here's my theory. We go to an undergrad and get an undergraduate degree to learn how to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, we go from high school to college and we have to learn how to learn. We have to figure out our way of learning. And a lot of kids that when they don't figure out how to learn, they, they drop out. We get a master's degree to find an area of expertise. Mm-hmm. That's why they call it a master. I right? find an area of expertise, but we get a terminal degree, a PhD, a doctorate, like what you and I have to learn how to do research. Mm-hmm. It's research based mm-hmm. and you, you have to add to the body of knowledge. You know, when you first mm-hmm. go into it and they say, well, you're going to you're going to add to the body of knowledge in an area that's unique, that's never been done before. It's mm-hmm. a little intimidating. Mm-hmm. 
until you find out the process for going about that. And then it's not, you know, once you kind of get your area of expertise and you learn how to do research, it's not as intimidating to come up with a quote unquote unique idea because you're extending the research in areas that hasn't been done yet. Right. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's learning how to do the research. That's the part to me in my journey that I found to be the Mm -hmm. most beneficial is you and I can now do research beyond anything that we even considered before. So so Gary, when you say all of that, that's exactly what I do for my clients. Ah. And that PhD, that process, you know, you have to dig deep and understand that problem space. You've got to understand what are the different existing opportunities to solve in that problem space, or how do I apply knowledge from a different um, but similar problem space to try to solve for that problem? And then how do I go about methodically applying and validating that that's the right solution? Everything Mm -hmm. that I do is hypothesis testing, but I'm not going to go in. See, being an industry, I worked around a lot of A, men, So they want me to cut to the chase. I I can remember in my career at one point, a peer of mine, he said to me, your emails are too long. Hmm. So I realized at that point, I had to cut to the chase and get to the point. And so I was able to straddle that kind of leveraging that hypothesis testing or assumption testing that's necessary in the whole software development space and solution space overall, product development space. But then also being able to be business minded and to have that acumen around effective communication, you know, what's the headline, what's the goal, that sort of thing. And so I, throughout my career, found a way to to pull those nuggets of benefit from each of those experiences. So let's go back and and get a little personal here. How did Mm -hmm. it feel when that person said to you, your emails are too long? Oh my gosh, I love that because that means that you give me feedback to help me become a better person in the workplace. You help me to become more effective at what I do because you've given me the feedback versus I send you the emails. You look at them and you're like, here comes another damn Dr. Kenya email and she's going to give me a whole dissertation on what we need to do. And then they don't read it. I'd rather Mm. you give me the feedback so I can pivot and get better and adjust. And then, you know, we can partner more effectively. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to uh, when I read the, your bio and it said mm-hmm. usable, effective, and efficient. And I, I highlighted that. Mm-hmm. So those words to me are not words in a marketing brochure. Those are words that define Kenya Absolutely. because you just said, you just said to me, you got the feedback and you realized you weren't being effective. Mm-hmm. So in order to be effective and efficient for them, the email becomes usable to them because that information is now effective for them. So you live those words, don't you? Absolutely. And in my experiences of leading teams, I would always, when I was in-house before starting uh, my company, I would always tell the members of my team, we are consultants inside of the organization. So that means that you treat your partners in this process as your client. Mm. And it's not only about your delivery in terms of what we produce in our, in our discipline, but it's also about how you interface with them. It's how you make them feel like you care about the experience and interactions that you have. There's a service component. Making sure that all of that um, you know, is effective is, is a part of partnering in organizations. And I think a lot of us forget that. 
So what did, what have you, I'm sure you've run into a situation where people didn't always openly accept the feedback like you did openly accepted the direction like you have of being in service. How did you handle that? So no names, please, but give me (laughs) all of my sources will remain anonymous. Honestly, I, that going back to your question about me starting my own company as a black female and as um, someone who was sort of shy growing up and, and coming into my own, you know, just as an adult, I, I had a hard time with receiving feedback from, it was primarily from white men. Mm-hmm. And so at a certain point that wears away at your, your just your being and your presence in that organization. And so I, when I decided that I was ready to move on to a new opportunity and I was still in house, I had to evaluate, am I ready to still go through that? not only doing good work, but having to partner in ways where sometimes the people that I'm partnering with don't necessarily want to partner with me. Mm. And so that's where I said, you know what, if I start my own company, I know that if a client signs up to work with Kenya, Dr. Kenya and the Lean Geeks team, they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. That to me is so much more, so much more rewarding than having to fight you know, kind of to crawl to get someone to 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 see your perspective and to understand your value in the the organization. So, in one of your questions related to my path, I wanted to mention the fact that my mother was or is a systems analyst, and so she uh-huh. went through school around information systems, and and she was hired by Bell Labs in the early '80s, and she was hired through affirmative action. And so very young, my mother would explain to me, you know, I was hired in for these reasons. That doesn't mean that I'm not capable or I'm not smart. She had a master's in information science and art and education. And she said, it's not that I'm not capable, but because of the state or the current circumstances, I was hired for these reasons. But she always had these fascinating stories of how she was treated at work. And she moved into a place where she was a trainer. So she Mm -hmm. not only had to understand the system from an analyst perspective, she had to then turn that into training material. And so I used to watch my mother growing up in the bathroom mirror, practicing her training. And she had these really complex diagrams on the the bathroom sink. And I used to, I was just fascinated. So I'm like, what is all that stuff on paper? And I realized a lot of my path kind of, came full circle and went into what I saw as a, a, you know, growing up as a a young child, watching my mother, learning how to speak more effectively, being able to understand that things are systems related, not just individual related. So a lot of my path, I realized was influenced by my mother and a lot of what she shared Mm. with me when I was younger. Yeah. And, and based on what you're saying, and you, when we think about this, the, the, this was the beginning of real affirmative action and giving her the opportunity mm-hmm. to, and I, I can't tell you how, how much I think about how much talent we are wasting mm-hmm. because we don't give people the opportunities that should be given to them. I mean, yeah. if your mother wasn't given that opportunity, I mean, she would have been a great mother and done all those things That's and wonderful, right. but, but how much more fulfilling was her life for herself being a systems analyst and getting to do the things that she was good at. We yeah. all want to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
which is in a way a lot of what you do today. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of, we just don't realize how much of our experiences and our lived experience, how much of an influence that has on who we become. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I cannot, never can uh, really empathize with your journey. Mm-hmm. Being a, a black woman, I'm a little bit different than that. <laughs> I, I I can say that at, at least at, at some level, uh, and I, I think I've shared this with people before, living in Scotland for two years as an American Catholic in mm-hmm. a Scottish Protestant school where they hated us at uh, nine, ten years old, not understanding why they why they hated us. I understand it today mm-hmm. being a, uh, with submarines there. My dad was in the Navy, nuclear mm-hmm. power submarines, all that kind of stuff. We were a, uh, a target in mm-hmm. Scotland for the Soviet union. So that was a bad thing, but I didn't understand that back then. Mm-hmm. I just knew that the kids didn't like us. So I, I guess I felt one, one thousandth of what you mm-hmm. feel because the difference here is this is your country. Mm-hmm. I knew I could come home. How do you get through those struggles? I mean, you, mm. you, you, you seem like a very happy person. You, you, you're very upbeat and you just kind of look at these things and say, this is life. Yeah. You know, how do I, how do I get through this? Did, have you ever had an employee that worked with you that you could feel that just was the wrong fit? And how did you, what did you do with that? Mm. So how do I, how do I get through this? The, yeah. the one word that I stand by is joy. And my joy is not driven by things or other people. My joy is within and my creator, my family. And so as much as things can get difficult or contentious in work settings, I always, of course, you know, you suffer from experiencing that in the workplace and that sort of thing. But ultimately, I always reflected on the fact that that's not where my joy, that's not the root of my joy. It's a job. And that kind of, I, I see it as, you know, there's so much more to us as individuals yeah. in seeing. So to your second question in working with people where I could see that they were not a good fit, there were the instances where I was in a leadership role and had to manage that, that employee in terms of coaching, effective feedback, making sure that they understood the expectations that others have, including myself, of them. Having those difficult conversations around putting people on performance plans and that kind of thing. I've always been good at separating emotion from business. Mm -hmm. And I'm a psychologist at my core, so I can demonstrate empathy and delivery that's effective and, and sensitive to the individual, but it's about business. So... So how do you, but how do you use that, that knowledge of, of being able to, you know, and we talk about an emotional intelligence, self-management relationship management, which is the external and internal management of the emotions in the interaction Mm -hmm. and knowing and understanding the awareness of that. How do you turn that off and on in business? Mm -hmm. Because you want to connect with people. And, and at the same time, you have to, as a, as a leader of a company, we have to have a little bit of protection, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you empathize with someone, you're not a social worker, you're a business leader, right? right? So when, when people go sideways, there's sometimes tough decisions that have to be made. Right. Right. And I heard you say it's giving them feedback, coaching them, working with them. 
helping them see the expectations and understand it. Right. How did you learn those skills? I mean, psychology is, is one part of that, but there's a skill of communication and giving feedback mm-hmm. and setting expectations and goals in your path over the years. How did you learn all that? First, that's a really good question. And as I think about it, I, I can reflect on multiple sources of that capability. So one is when I was promoted into leadership inside of an organization, I was sent to leadership training. I think a, a lot of companies nowadays. Oh, come on. That had to be with IBM. No, it wasn't. No. Okay. It was not. It was not. It was with LexisNexis. And I was flown up to Dayton, Ohio. Yep. And there were folks that came from different parts of the country. But IBM was another organization that invested in their employees in that way. But it's one of those things where th- that training, you, you don't recognize or realize how much of it becomes a part of mm. your interactions with others. I think that that foundation is so critical to being yeah. a strong leader. Even if you know how to do those things, training coupled with you as an individual can only make you more effective in what you're doing or what you seek out to do. And you were in a leadership position that allowed you to apply it apply as you're learning it. it. Right. And, and it starts to become, it's like any muscle, the application of it, it gets stronger and it gets more flexible and it gives you the ability to be a more effective leader. I believe in leadership training and development. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my company. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> shameless plug, <laughs> shameless plug. Um, the, the metaphor that I often use is the one about having to remove an appendicitis appendix and saying, uh, why don't you just remove it? And people go, well, no, I, I, I can't do that. I need a specialist. And I go, well, but we hand the scalpel of leadership to people all the time. And you say, you know what to do, remove the appendix. Why don't you just do it? Well, you've never been trained mm-hmm. and managers. So often we don't train them. We just hand them the responsibility and expect mm-hmm. them. And the problem is, is it's not the manager that dies on the operating table. It's the employee. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so, yeah. so, I want to, I want to ask you two questions. One is through all of this, uh, as you lead your company and everything, what do you think are some of the key things that an entrepreneur needs to develop, learn and know in order to be effective in a role like yours or in any CEO leadership role? Mm. Um, You have to going back to a statement you made earlier. You have to accept being a lifelong learner. Mm. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to be prepared to fail, but use those failures as learning opportunities. Um, I think those three facets of my um, growth and evolution as a leader and as a business owner have uh, helped me succeed. Without them, I don't know if I would succeed. Yeah. And you have to know when to ask questions. You have to seek out answers and you you can't expect that you will always have the answer or the ability to do everything that your business needs. It's interesting because a lot of the things that, that you mentioned about being uncomfortable, learn through your failures, ask questions because you don't know and, and, and having that curiosity, you know, in mm-hmm. listening points to one value that we look for in the people that we work with. And that's humility. Mm hmm. I have to have the humility and put my ego aside to be able to do all that. Otherwise I protect and I become um, what I call one of the three dark nights. Mm. 
that I've, I've read in Social Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. It talks mm-hmm. about this, the three dark nights, the Machiavellian, the sociopath, and the narcissist. Mm-hmm. And we see this in leaders all the time. So, mm-hmm. so let me ask you the final question. That final question that I always ask. Drum if you, roll. If you, oh, here we go. If you could write yourself a letter back to Kenya before you became a doctor many years ago and you said, Kenya, pay attention to this. Mm. What would you tell yourself if you could write that letter and send it back to yourself? Pay attention to this. If I could write myself a letter before my doctoral journey. Yep. Pay attention to the fact that the struggles and bumps in the road that you experience are not, they're just a blip in the radar of life and you'll get over them. And like I've realized today, you'll learn from them. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming at the time. Yeah. 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 It can feel lonely, but. You can be alone without feeling lonely. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, wrap this up. Is there any other words of wisdom, Dr. Kenya, that you'd like to share with us today? Something I've, something that has really thematically become a part of a lot of my conversations, especially with women lately, is giving ourselves grace. I think with COVID and just juggling the, the, the vast number of things that we're having to juggle and have had to over the last few years, I think a lot of us are not giving ourselves grace and saying, you know what, sometimes I just have to let things go or, you know, roll with it, that kind of thing. So give yourself grace, I think, is the most important mantra that I have right now. Yeah, it's funny you should bring that up. Our our definition of leadership is the ability to build relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassionate accountability. So I use that in our mission statement, you know, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. This compassionate accountability keeps coming up, right? Mm-hmm. And depending on our personality, a lot of times with high performers, we're all pretty much self-starters and hold ourselves accountable and push ourselves and achieve things like getting doctorates when we're working full time, like mm-hmm. I did, like you did. We mm-hmm. do that. You know, it's just, just who we are. Right. Yeah. But the compassionate side, just giving ourselves a break, a little bit of grace mm-hmm. yeah. is very, very powerful to just take a deep breath, relax and realize, you know, it might take you an extra month. Is it really going to matter? Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. yeah. I almost drove myself crazy when I set a hard and fast goal for my doctorate to get my dissertation done by the end of March when I was working on it in 2008. And uh, in 2007, I'm pushing, pushing, pushing. I'm trying to do this because I want to graduate in 2008. That was my goal. And Kenya, it almost it almost drove me crazy. It almost made me sick. Mm-hmm. And I realized towards the end of the year, beginning of January, there was no way. And I just I just took a breath and I realized I, I followed the uh, Admiral Stockdale paradox where he said, just have faith yeah. that you will get done someday. Yeah. Each day, make progress. Like you were saying, with grace, some days I would work a couple of hours. Other days I'd feel energy and work for 12, 14 mm-hmm. hours on my dissertation and just make those baby steps every day. Mm-hmm. And all the pressure was taken off. It took me till the end of 2009. I finished it just like you did. It's Mm -hmm. a hard journey, but you know what, Dr. Kenya, we did it. Yes, absolutely. 
We do. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, Dr. Kenya Odur. I really appreciate you being here, entrepreneur and lean geeks leader. Love it. Just had an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I absolutely enjoyed it too, Dr. Gary. And this conversation was just right in line with what I needed to start my week off. So thank Uh, you. That's great. Thank Thank you. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for joining us again on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. <laughs>